Hi, this is Benjamin Joff, partner at SOSV. We invest in early-stage startups with a focus on deep tech, ranging from cellular agriculture to neurotech and service robots. In this podcast, startup founders and investors tell us how innovation can go from lab to market. I'm a clinical psychologist, and uh, I came in contact with a brain stimulation technique called TDCS, and uh, I decided to do something that will have a greater impact than when I sit down and talk to patients. Telemedicine and mental health are hot topics, particularly in those times of economic uncertainty and forced isolation. In this episode, Daniel Manson, CEO of Flow Neuroscience, explains how they are bringing the first medication-free depression treatment to the home of patients. Our conversation covers the tech spectrum of mental health, from wellness apps to brain stimulation technologies like ECS, TMS, TDCS, and DBS. We talk about what Apple, Google, Amazon, Elon Musk's Neuralink, and startups are doing in the space. Finally, we discuss the current push for remote patient monitoring and treatment and the role of regulators to ensure both a positive effect and the safety of patients. Daniel, great to have you today. Thank you very much, Ben. Happy to be here. So today we're going to talk about technology and mental health. Those are two domains that don't often intersect, but uh, as we're going to see, there's uh, actually a lot happening. So Daniel, maybe to get started, tell a bit more about what Flow Neuroscience is doing. We are a company started about four and a half years ago with a vision to create new kinds of treatments for people with mental health problems. And we do this by combining technology and neuroscience. The first product that we have done is basically a new treatment for what we call unipolar depression, so major depressive disorder or normal depression. And there we combine a brain stimulation headset and an app therapy program which is fully automated and can be used at home. Okay, so this sounds like almost futuristic. And uh, because when we talk about today's state of the art of technologies in uh, the hands of uh, patients and consumers, generally it's either apps that help you calm down, there's a headspace or a calm that help you meditate or for get to sleep. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have super high-tech futuristic thing like what Elon Musk unveiled with the Neuralink uh, technology that's very invasive. And then in the middle, there's all the things going on with doctors and in hospitals that people are not necessarily very aware of. So where do you stand between those two? And what's the state of the art of technologies for mental health? So that's a very interesting question. I, I fully agree with that With that scale. You have the wellness apps on, on the left side and on the right side, you have the very invasive, not only Neuralink and, and Elon Musk doing that, but you also have the DBS uh, standing for deep brain stimulation. We've been doing that for many years when you actually go through the cranium and you put in an electrode and you can stimulate different areas there in order to help people with Parkinson or with depression, very severe depression. Then. And we stand somewhere in the middle. We try to take the best of both worlds. So we take a very non-invasive brain stimulation technique called TDCS, and we deliver a very weak current into the brain, uh, just enough to get the neurons to fire. But you don't have to go in through the skull, and the patient won't go into anesthesia or something like that. They can do it from home. It doesn't feel anything except for a little bit of tingling underneath the electrodes. But we also try to combine it with apps. Because we know that a big part of mental health is to educate the patient on what they can do themselves in order to change their behavior. That's what we are doing. And we're trying to take the best of both worlds. I would say that the cutting edge right now is 
Uh, that is the cutting edge. It's trying to use non-invasive and in- invasive technology in order to affect the brain on a broader level. So making sure that certain area gets a little bit more activated. The use of currents to stimulate the brain is, uh, is something that's been explored in medicine for almost 100 years now, starting with uh, electroshocks, electroconvulsive therapy, as it's called now, ECT. What you're saying is that the latest evolutions is that now we can resort to much lower currents and in a very non-invasive way. Could you give us a sense of, of the scale and the, like the intensity of the currents you, being used? You could compare it to a, a nine volt battery that you have in some of the remote controls. So it's a very weak current. It's 2.0 milliamps. And if you compare it to, for example, ECT, which is this electroconvulsive therapy that you mentioned before, and that's 800 milliamps. So it's 400 times weaker than ECT. Uh, if people have watched the movie, uh, One Flew Above a Cuckoo's Nest, we see that the ECT can be really intense and can have also a lot of side effects. So what's appealing in, in your technology is that because the currency is so weak, barely enough to help the neurons fire, is that you don't have issues with side effects. Are you the first device that gets on market? We are not the first device to come to the market uh, when it comes to TDCS. Uh, TDCS is technology that's been around uh, for a while. What's new is that before they used to do TDCS in the clinics, and it's an effective treatment, but it's as effective as, or roughly as effective as the TMS treatments. It's a magnetic stimulation, but it's a way much more costly treatment. A machine could be $100,000, for example. TDCS is less expensive and it's been used in the clinics. And we have taken that and made it into an easy to use wearable instead. Made sure that the patient can access it by using it at home. So all technology, you could say, delivering current, but packaged in a very neat way and in a very safe way for home use. I guess your goal is to replace a lot of the antidepressant drugs and also either replace or complement the work with therapists. We're not out to remove any treatments from the market. We think that it's extremely important that people have a big toolbox in order to treat the condition that they have. So we're not against any treatments, but we are providing something that could, as you say, replace antidepressants or talk therapy if, if people don't want to use that. But it can also augment these treatments. So if, for example, if you have an antidepressant dose that you're not happy with because it causes side effects, for example, or that you and your doctor, I should say, are not happy with, you could potentially with this treatment minimize uh, the dose so that uh, the side effect doesn't appear. You do that, of course, together with your doctor. It's extremely important not to go off antidepressants on your own to have that said, but this technology can both augment and uh, potentially replace also in the future. Okay, and it sounds like also it's a very timely uh, moment to have this product because with isolation and the economic uncertainties, uh, a lot of people have had either worsening mental health conditions or inability to access care or just being affected by all this uncertainty that basically takes them closer to depression. Yeah, COVID has been very difficult for many people. I, I just saw in a tracking poll here from a company called KFF in the US it was conducted in mid-July and it said that 53% of adults in the United States reported that their mental health has been negatively impacted due to worry or stress over the coronavirus. And 
reading through the report, you can see that it's quite significant. So about 30% reported that they had a difficulty sleeping or eating. And the alcohol consumption and, and substance abuse have increased by about 12-15%. So it is very difficult for people. Yeah, it's been reported by some media that in addition to like the health crisis and the economic crisis, we might have a, a looming mental health crisis. Yes, definitely. That is what's happened in these types of crisis. And I would say also that the depression problem may not be the one that appears first. If you have a crisis, you often go into anxiety and stress. And if you have chronic stress for a longer period of time, of course, because it's chronic, and then that would transform into depression after a while. So that's that's extremely important to, to have uh, options. So like uh, depression is a worsening of a condition of stress and anxiety. And uh, kind of interestingly, actually, in the portfolio of SOSV and you're one of our portfolio companies, we have a few others in the mental health space. Uh, we have one tracking emotions called FEEL, another one tra tracking anxiety called uh, LEAF Therapeutics. But you're the only one who's addressing really straight on depression. And uh, that actually leads me to a few other questions regarding how did you decide to start with this problem and pick this technology? So I'm a clinical psychologist. And uh, during my training, I came in contact with this technology because it was quite new. There was a bunch of studies at the time coming out showing interesting results. And uh, I started traveling the world to the different scientific conferences and I talked to the professors and they told me about these new studies, but also about studies that hadn't been published yet. So I thought that was very interesting and I decided then and there that I'm um, going to do something within this field that will have a greater impact than I'm able to have when I sit down and talk to patients one-on-one. -on -one. So my co-founder came home from the US after doing very interesting work there on generalized AI and we decided to put together our competences from the clinical side and from a computational neuroscience side and this became Flow. Any medical device has generally a long journey through regulations, through clinical trials, but even just going through the prototyping stage. Yeah, it is a long journey if you decide to do a medical device. It's a long journey anyway to do something within the tech space. But we, we started out by doing a minimum viable product demo device and um, making sure that everything worked, that we could actually deliver current to the brain in, in that way. We were then accepted to the HACS program, which was a very big thing for us. The first time, basically, someone said, we believe in the team, we believe in the product and uh, the research that you have done. And uh, we were then invited to stay in China for six months or five months and were then able to take this minimum viable product into something that's manufacturable. So that was a very big thing. And uh, once we came home from China, we were able to raise our seed fund and also set up production in Sweden. So we had suppliers in China and then a contract manufacturer in Sweden who put everything together in order for us to be close to the factory and so on. But during that time, the work with the regulatory certification started also. And that was the really big thing. Uh, we were super naive in the beginning and thought that this could maybe be done in I don't know, a year we thought in the beginning, but it took us two and a half years to do to get the regulatory approval in Europe. And what it actually means is that you are able to claim an effect of the device and that it's safe. And 
in that kind of package in order to be able to claim that you need to prove through 500 different documents that we have describing all of the processes in the company and and all of the clinical studies that we have put together into a clinical evaluation report it's called in order to prove that it works and that it's safe so it's a bunch of work going into it but in the end it's definitely worth it because now we know what we can claim and we have a third-party certification saying that that we are right to claim that. That sounds like a really tremendous effort to go through all the certification process. And so you've completed it for Europe. You have the CE mark, and that allows you to sell all across Europe. Uh, are there other geographies you're looking into already? Yes, we are already certified also in Brazil and very soon in uh, Australia. But of course, we are looking at the US. We are also looking at China. It could be very interesting to countries. There are some additional requirements in these countries and also probably that we need to do a study looking at certain populations in these countries because they're very interested in seeing that. But we'll see. We're working with the FDA right now, discussing with them and also the CFDA in China in order to establish what we need to do in order to go there. And for the US, so your seed round you raised with Kozla Ventures. Can you tell a bit more also about what happened? How did you connect with them? And how did you manage as a company based in Sweden originally to attract such international investors? Yeah, it's a funny story, actually. We did as everybody else does. We pitched a lot for a seed round. I think I pitched it 60 to 70 times, something like that, different investors. In the end, I sent a cold email actually to Vinod Kosla himself and actually got a response. It was uh, apparently a, a quite good email. And the reason why I sent it was uh, I, I was inspired by him, looked through uh, a bunch of presentations that he held. I think he's a visionary man. Uh, I told him that and I told him what we were going to do, our vision. And um, after a couple of calls together with his associates and uh, together with our regulatory consultants, actually also, we were invited to San Francisco and uh, pitched for him and some members of his team. And um, they uh, decided then and there to invest. So we were very happy about that. It was a not very long process. And I, I understand afterwards that this is a not very common process. But then we didn't really know um, what to expect. But we were super happy about that, of course. And it's been a very good collaboration. They've been very professional and very good to us. And you were one of the very few investments that Kosla has made outside of North America, right? Yes, I believe they've done uh, two investments in Sweden. One of them is us. And then in Europe, uh, very few. But I think they invest all over the world if they find something interesting. So another thing I was wondering, these days, some very large companies, Google, Apple, Amazon, they're all looking at uh, remote health with different approaches. Are they looking at the brain? Are they looking at mental health, to your knowledge? So that's a very good question. As far as I understand, they are not looking at the brain directly right now. They all have their venture arms and they, of course, invest in companies that are probably doing stuff in the brain. And especially Google, I think, have that in, in their portfolio. When it comes to Apple, I, I know that they're doing stuff uh, with their watch, trying to look at uh, blood glucose and uh, heart pressure and so on. So I think that that's interesting. And I know also that Team Cook once referred to health as like the company's greatest contribution to mankind, that 
health will be that. Uh, so I, I think they are definitely super interested in health, uh, all of them. And I know also that Amazon has gone into this field with uh, some kind of bracelet where they are able to analyze voice and uh, see if you have a change in your emotions. So uh, they could potentially detect depression, for example, in the future. So I think uh, they are getting closer and I think they're starting with diagnostics or help in behavior change. Okay, so that's really interesting that they come in like from different angles, and uh, but they're also looking into various aspects of health. One other thing that's very encouraging in your field is that the regulatory framework has been evolving quite fast. Uh, in the US, there's now uh, all sorts of regulation related to remote patient monitoring that allow doctors to do remote consultations, which was problematic before because they couldn't really invoice or patients couldn't get reimbursed for those things. And now that's evolved and it's evolving even faster because... With COVID, hospitals are trying to reduce the need for visits and to minimize the risk of exposure to the virus. So the arrow of history is going in the right direction for you guys. What do you see as evolutions and enablers in the market on the regulatory side, on the, the different parties like hospitals, doctors and patients acceptance for this type of uh, new remote treatment? I totally agree with what you're saying. We are almost pushed into this area where the patients can be seen online the doctors can both diagnose, but also do digital subscriptions, for example, and make sure that people get their medications in a very easy way. Uh, we had this in Sweden for a while, uh, by the way, but I think the rest of the world is, is uh, catching up. So I, I think that this is a very good development, and I think the regulators need to do their part. But the picture is not 100% in, in the right direction when it comes to the regulators. I think that they are um, forced to be very cautious when it comes to new technology. They talk a lot and, and we can see in the newspaper articles and so on that the FDA and also the EU regulatory bodies are opening up and making sure that the digital technologies are being allowed. That's not really 100% in line with the reality that we are facing. The regulators, they're supposed to be cautious. Uh, they're supposed to protect the public from devices, manufacturers that are not serious and that could potentially harm the, the patient. And therefore, the amount of evidence that you need to produce all the time in order to, to make sure that you can have your certificates keep on getting more and more uh, difficult to comply to. And that's what they're supposed to do. And so I mentioned before that brain stimulation devices in Europe, even if you don't claim anything medical, they're wellness devices, still they are not allowed for next year to, to be sold in Europe. So I think it's moving in many different directions. My hope is that the regulators will also start opening up and, and making sure that these technologies become available to everyone. There's a desire for change, but they still have to be cautious in what they allow and they're also reviewing what's on market. So that means that the devices that are like brain stimulation devices with similar technology to yours, TDCS, uh, some like more like lifestyle devices claim to do like memory improvements and uh, boost your math skills. They might have to maybe phase out because they don't prove anything, even if they're not medical devices. That is my prediction, yes. The brain stimulation devices in particular will be uh, removed from the market in Europe because if they don't comply with the medical device uh, standards, even though they don't claim anything, that will be not allowed in Europe at least. 
And I, I think in general that the, the public, they don't want to be fooled into buying something that potentially could work. One little study shows something. You need to be able to prove that it works. And the regulators have caught up on that, the public demand, I would say. And that is good, in my opinion. Okay. I have one more question regarding the technology itself. If you want to really close the loop, you need to diagnose and treat and be able to measure the effect. Some devices do that very effectively because they can use objective biosignals like a heart rate and heart rate variability. It's a very objective measure. Yeah. But with things connected to the brain and people's mind or people's mental health, it's a bit more tricky. So what's the measurement being used in your field to measure the effectiveness of a treatment? Well, there are a, a bunch of innovative solutions. Uh, I mentioned voice before. There are several companies doing that. I think one in, in Coastal Adventures portfolio doing doing voice analysis in order to diagnose depression. So that's very innovative. But the, the field in general, the way it's normally done is still uh, self-questionnaires or questionnaires administered by a clinician. So you basically answer a bunch of questions and then you, you can get an answer based on that. I think there is a lot to do within diagnostics. This is a very interesting field, but it also requires that the people who put together the diagnostics journals or the manuals, uh, it's called DSM-5 now in uh, in the US and, and in Europe, I think it's called ICD. And it's basically a manual of, of, of all the different diagnoses within the, the mental health field. And uh, they have to agree with it also. Uh, so it, it can't just be pushed by a technological uh, revolution. I think they can increase the speed, but it needs to be done together with the people controlling the diagnosis, the, the way we look at mental health, because it's also connected to the healthcare system and who pays for what and so on. So it, it's a big thing. It's, it's not just coming up with a technical solution. It needs to be grounded together with all the other professions and so on. So if we just have a brain scan, for instance, either like a, a mapping of brain activity with an EEG or a scan with an MRI, we can't really so easily infer the improvement of a condition. It has to be in accordance with more like a methods of a mental health diagnostic. I think it will be possible in the future. It just will take a little bit more time than many in the startup field and in the technology field would want to. So uh, I, I think we will get there, definitely. And as I said, it's, there's many different interesting solutions out there. Voice is one, but there's also, for example, this company in Sweden, I think, who, who looked at the different biological markers for people that have a higher risk of suicide. And they could, they could actually predict the person who, who would actually commit uh, suicide. And uh, this is very interesting and could help so many people if we could get a a biological measurement or some kind of objective measurement of these diseases. So I think it's possible. It's just that there needs to be a collaboration between the fields in order to actually get it to the patient. So that actually somebody can pay for it and somebody can distribute it and so on. You already have devices on market, you have uh, sales, you have already some feedback from your customers. Are there some particular stories or, or anecdotes that uh, you could share regarding uh, people's benefits or situations? Oh, we have many different stories from, from people who have uh, been depressed for 15, 20 years. We have people who have been going through the treatment and has been able to live good lives again. We have, uh, I had one person a couple of weeks ago uh, telling me that 
he was finally able to to draw again. He used to be a accomplished artist, and now he's able to draw again. Uh, he hasn't been able to do that in in twenty years, although he's been on on medication and and other forms of treatment. We have many many stories like that, and if you have a look at our website, you can see a testimonial videos where people talk about their experience uh, with brain stimulation. Many, many stories like that. As a final question, what are the plans of Flow Neuroscience in the coming year or two? We are now in an extreme expansion mode. We have the first thousand patients who have gone through treatment. We will we'll publish that data. And we are now focused on getting into more countries in Europe. We are available in 30 countries, but we haven't really pushed trying to to get the people in these countries to see what we're doing. So we're writing articles and working with collaborators and, and uh, people who want to write about it and get our patients to talk about it and so on. So we're in rapid expansion mode, you could say. Are you trying to reach the consumers, the patients directly? Are you working with hospitals? Are you working with distributors? What, what's your approach? Yeah, so that's a little bit different than uh, normal treatment models. We, we are doing both, actually. So we are going directly to the patient because it's a safe enough treatment so that people can buy it themselves if they have a proper diagnosis that's been uh, done by a doctor or a psychologist. And then we're also working parallel with private healthcare clinics now in the beginning. We have our main collaborators in, in London, on Harley Street in London, but there will be many healthcare clinics popping up in different places around Europe that are working with this treatment. Wonderful. So I think you're really providing something that's very much needed in our times and uh, will definitely be in the foreseeable future. So Daniel, thanks a lot for your insights and best of luck in the next steps of Flow Neuroscience. Thank you so much, Ben. I really enjoyed the conversation. Subscribe now for future episodes. Follow us on Twitter at Lab2Market and SOSV or visit our other podcasts, Designing Science on Biology and China Startup Pulse on Asia Cross-Border Internet. Bye.